Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I'm grateful to welcome Barbara Horton to the podcast. In case you don't know Barbara, she's currently the co-CEO and one of 14 principals at HLB Lighting Design. Founded in 1968, HLB Lighting Design is the largest women-owned independent architectural lighting design firm in North America. With seven offices totaling over 80 people in New York, Boston, Miami, Denver, Austin, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, they recently celebrated over 50 years of lighting expertise, industry leadership, and an artistic vision driven by passion for inspired design. Barbara brings to us more than a life of experience. She brings stories, she brings a career, and she brings a special mentality on how to build a business and be successful. Today's episode will be a little different because it'll be a few parts. We're going to dive into it with Barbara and talk about who she is, how she got into lighting, how she's been successful, how she built her business, and what she has to say to the next generation of those designers out there. Barbara, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? I am doing great. It's turning to fall and it's 80 degrees and beautiful. So making me really happy. Humidity is out of the way. Well, you know, I'm a big sailor. So for me, it's uh, all about the wind. And when there's no humidity, it's just awesome. What got you excited about sailing? How'd you get into that? Well, let's see, I got divorced. I needed a hobby. I lived in New York City at the time and New York Harbor was right there in front of me. And I thought, why aren't I out there with all those fun people? I took sailing classes and that was the end of it. That was 25 years ago. So no, that was the beginning of it. Something tells me if I want to catch up with you someday down the road, I might need a boat myself. One of my big goals is to do a across the pond to Europe. So we've got the right boat and now we just have to find the right time. That would be cool. Before we get started with all our awesome conversation, do me a real quick favor. Remind me who Barbara is. Remind everybody else who Barbara is and how you got your start in lighting. Well, I'm an architectural lighting designer, proud to say. And I guess I always sort of think of myself as there's the hunter and the gatherer description of people. I think I'm both when I think about what those definitions are. I'm very driven to bring people together, to create experiences with light. But I also love the hunt. I love the hunt for projects that are innovative and inspiring our team and our clients. As an extension of that, I've really grown to love the marketing side of the business. So that's how I've moved over the years. Some of my professional colleagues call me the marketing queen, (laughs) and I accept that very nicely because I do think I feel an affinity to that side of the business in addition to lighting design. When you first got into approaching that opportunity to be the marketing queen, What was the first thing that gave you the itch to get into lighting and be interested about it? First of all, I'm an accidental tourist in this profession. I started as an interior designer. After three or four years working as interior designer, I took classes at FIT. I met Jules Horton. That started my interest in lighting. Then he offered me a three-week position in the firm doing some drafting, and that turned into 40 years But the interesting thing is that my first job there was actually doing something called cold calls, which I'm sure nobody really knows what that is anymore. But I had to sit in a room and explain what a lighting designer did to architects and owners. 
I didn't even know what a lighting designer was, but I was figuring it out and finding the right techniques to pull people in and get them interested. And I found a calling in doing that. I stayed with the business because it was interesting and curious, and it just went on from there. It's pretty amazing that somebody who had no clue what lighting design was is still in it 40 years later. (laughs) I think I know a little bit more about where that marketing queen name came from. Yeah. And I have to say, when you go to different markets, I feel like sometimes I'm going back 30, 40 years and trying to explain the same thing I did 40 years ago. Honestly, when we moved to the Miami market six years ago, I came into a prominent architect's offices and said, yeah, we're architectural lighting designers. And they were like, oh, so what's your product line? Like, no, we're consultants. Oh, consultants. So we changed our whole thinking here to say we're architectural lighting consultants. And now they get it. (laughs) It's funny how one or two words can make such a difference. Yeah. I've got to ask, you got your start almost by accident, as you mentioned. I love that term, by the way, accidental tourist. (laughs) There must have been a lot of unknown there, but quickly you became familiar with it. What do you think your favorite part about that unknown aspect of this as you wandered into it was that ultimately drove you? I'm going to say the science because I had the art down pat. You know, as an interior designer, you see the world in 3D as it starts and you have a good perception of many things. But when I got a good three years into my career at the firm, I realized that the science of what I was doing solidified the design ideas and could prove it out. You couldn't do that in interior design. You know, brown is brown and red is red, right? You know, it wasn't quite the same science, right? There are probably some psychology to it. But that's what drove me was that blending of the two aspects of what we do every day, you know, the psychology, the math, although I hate the math part, but I get it. Certainly the psychology of light was really fascinating to me. The psychology of light, the art and the science of light, it's something that all designers talk about, but only lighting designers, as you mentioned. There's not a lot of science to the color of brown. Now, there may be some rules or visual preference in terms of what it looks like in a space. Mm -hmm. What helped you chase learning that math side of things? Was it just coming to work every day? Well, I had great mentors. I mean, Jules was, of course, the first one in my both education and then, of course, in the field itself. I think my colleagues, people that were in the office at the time, were some of them trained in lighting specifically, so they really could give me some of the scientific side of things. Now I understood it intuitively, but now someone's explained that there's really a basis for all of this. Stephen Lee's, of course, same thing. And when I had to really rethink trigonometry, I was like, oh, I remember how that goes. <laughs> I, was, I think I did that eight years ago. So it started to come together. And I think the favorite part for me and why I still come to work every day is that what we do is always a discovery. You're realizing very early on how light can be so impactful, what the experience is for everyone who touches it or experiences it. I love the visual exploration of all that. I think that's something that when you're formally trained in lighting, you might not have the opportunity to experience light and absorb it and then figure out why it works or why it doesn't work. Maybe in some ways that was good that I didn't have the formal training and had to experiment. You bring up an interesting point there because as you mentioned, there's the visual part of light and there's the math part. And some people literally never learn the math. I kind of got suckered into learning the math first and the visual (laughs) part second. 
And there's a whole host of people who definitely learn the visual part first, math part second, and then some people maybe only have the opportunity to learn one or the other, but still are able to be great professionals and do great design work. But they don't necessarily know every single part of it because of that. You mentioned mentorship. And I've got to imagine at this point, you're on the list of being a mentor for several people. But earlier on, it may have been a different story. What was mentorship like for you growing up? And how did that make a difference? Well, you know, I don't think we were so formal back 30, 40 years ago with somebody truly being my mentor. I'd say there were people that championed my success in the Mm -hmm. firm. They guided me, got me to classes, got me to manufacturers. Of course, everyone had a light lab. So at the time, and maybe still some of us do, and that's where I learned to blow things up and put wires together that I didn't know what they meant. And suddenly they worked or they didn't work. (laughs) When you say light lab, you mean like physical workbench space and you guys were Were you making stuff in that light lab or what were you doing? Yeah, you know, we had all the kit parts and a big ceiling grid and we'd hang things up and organize it, put the control systems together. And literally, I would say the mentoring that I had at that time was the hands-on. And I'm not kidding. We used to take things apart. Like we had a light table because at the time we didn't do AutoCAD or anything. We worked on Mylar and I needed some battery. Wait, wait, wait. Back up a second. (laughs) What? what is a light table and what is mylar? <laughs> You've got to explain that because I'm just not sure everybody knows what that is anymore. All right. Well, good, good. So we had these big like eight foot by four foot luminous boxes and we would take the drawings and lay them on top of it and trace one layer to another. So their mylar sheet had the RCP background and then we would do the lighting on top. And one day I needed to get a ballast, a dimming ballast from it. And I took it apart and I used it in a mock-up and then I blew it up and I couldn't put it back. And of course, nobody could work. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Stephen coming in and goes, who took the light box apart? I was like, oh, that would have been me. (laughs) (laughs) But I got it fixed. The one thing I think I did learn through that process was if you break it, fix it and figure out how to solve the problem. So whether it was your design or the shop drawing that you received or something in the field, it was use your ingenuity, use your resources and solve the problem. And I think we still say that to designers. When we're sitting in the middle of concept design and somebody will come over to me with, I've got this problem. I'm like, okay, give me the solutions. You know, I don't want to hear the problem. I want to hear the solutions. And I think that was a good training for me. And I've passed that on to other people as well. I love what you said about how mentorship wasn't formal back then. I'm not necessarily sure if mentorship's formal today either. What would you say to young people and to those people who are eager to learn what it means to continue that journey of education and learning through mentorship and how it might show up or how they might seek that out? First of all, I think so many people that come into our firm and to other lighting design offices, they've already been trained at Parsons or Penn State or some of the other universities. They come in with this very strong several-year foundation of the mechanics of lighting. What we try to do is mentor in a different way. We try to make people see, so keep a journal. I don't care if you're hanging out at the bar or you're hanging out at the beach. What does the space feel like? How are you experiencing it? What worked, what didn't work? Like be analytical. And that's something that I don't think you can teach in school. It's hard to do that. And I think it's also hard to do when you're designing through a computer. We really have built a firm around the belief that you need to get out, even during COVID, 
when an intern came to me one time and said, gee, I want to take a month off and I want to do some traveling in Europe. Is this okay? And I was like, please go and do that because you cannot come to the table as a designer in the future and not have experienced Venice or not experienced Paris, the city of lights or New York City or all these other places. To me, the biggest opportunity that people have is now with all of the science and the math and all of the other things that they have acquired through education is to really go see the world and experience it and bring it back to the design table. I think that's the biggest mentorship. And what we've done is we give people time to do that. That's important. I love that. Travel is close to my heart. I love traveling. I love seeing the world. Sometimes it's hard to get out of your comfort zone, but it's amazing what authentic, unpredictable, beautiful, really, experiences can do to create opportunities and teach you things. I caught up with Howard Branson last year, and I was at his house, and he turned to the wall of books he had, like 500 books, and he said, I've got a room full of mentors. Most mm -hmm. of them are dead, but I still learn from them every day. Mm -hmm. Mentorship is really almost the way to reach out to continue to learn and educate yourself, whether or not something or someone is doing it for you. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. And I think it's great that you've created that culture at your company. You've got a strong, strong passion for obviously running a business and lighting. Talk to me just a little bit about what it's like to share that passion you have. Well, as you grow in your career, and I'll say this to everybody, because you could be an intern in an office right now, but one day you're going to be mid-career, your learning changes with the opportunity that we had to bring on very early, 25 years ago, some amazing designers who now are principals in the firm. I'm going to use Teal and, of course, Stephen as yeah. the, a good example. So the H, the L, and the B all together. We all had different talents. Teal's was definitely design-driven with a capital D. When she opened the LA office, she said, hey, can I do some consulting with so-and-so? And I was like, no, I want you to be an award-winning office. And that's what she did. Her focus was get these fabulous projects, really engage the architects and the innovation and the creative. Stephen had much more of the business side of it, operations, and I was much more on the marketing side. I think having that balance of the three of us and then, of course, all of the other people that came in shortly after that really all contributed to giving us the space. I used to say we have map makers and we have stargazers and we have trailblazers and you need that balance. And whether it's on the design level or it's on the ownership level or the principal level, you need that perspective in the office because everybody has different passions, different strengths, different inclinations, different experiences that they bring to the table. And I think that was what was successful for us. It didn't mean that we didn't do design with all those other hats that we had to wear, but it was in conjunction with building the business as well as doing design excellence. I've got to imagine with all three of you and these three pillars, you were always teaching people. You were always trying to disseminate that knowledge into people to get them to rise to the occasion or become better versions of themselves as well. We talked about mentorship and we talked about how it can come from a number of places. Obviously, your boss is one place. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what it was like for you to be at that higher level and come to work and work with those people internally and start to teach them what it was you knew and why that was important. 
I had a really unique opportunity to engage with some of the incredible leaders in the industry. Leslie Wheel, Carol Klein, Jeff Millam, Howard Branston, David Mintz. I mean, I can just keep going on and on. Partly because I got very much involved in professional organization. So I got involved in IELD. I didn't actually get involved. I got dragged in by Leslie. She said, hey, you're going to do this. As it happens, right. nobody volunteers for a volunteer right. organization. I was voluntold by Leslie and happily. I was in a room full of people with enormous egos. And I think the one thing I learned from that was check your ego at the door <laughs> yep. and go do your work. Do your job. Yeah. Great role models. But in the process of watching all of these amazing people, observing them was probably the best role model of what not to do. And part of that was that business side. They were very entrepreneurial. That philosophy still pervades our company, but with due diligence, a plan, a little bit more rigor to it than just, hey, let's just go open an office in Dubai and never know if it's going to work or who's going to run it or how it's going to be managed or what's your identity. So I think being involved in the IELD, particularly in IES to some degree, but for me, it was more IELD because I gravitated to the designer side. I sat in rooms with my professional peers that became my friends till this day, not just my professional competition, friendly competition, but some of those great people that really were inspiring and indirectly taught us what not to do. <laughs> Absolutely. When you look at that opportunity of learning by someone else's mistake. You'll be able to take that lesson and apply it moving forward. I know that you've done a lot of hard work over your time at HLB to get your company to think a certain way. But something that's unique about Barbara is what drives you to teach the rest of your industry this? You could keep it all behind closed doors, but you're very outward spoken when it comes to encouraging our industry to do what it is you've learned as well. Well, first I had a really good role model. Jules always said, you have to give back to your community. That was wonderful for me, and I've encouraged everybody that I've touched over the years to be involved in your professional organization. I don't care what it is. If you're the marketing person, get involved in your professional organization. You're the accountant, do the same. Because that's where you learn most of what you're doing. That's where you build your confidence. That's where you have some programs or conferences that you can attend and, and you have the camaraderie. That's so important to a professional. As things evolved in our firm, we never did this by ourselves. We always had management consultants since the day I took over as president, which was like 1998. Jules and Stephen were still there. And suddenly I was like, okay, I don't know anything about business. We hired someone. They gave us some good roadmaps. We hired many people over the years, changing, transforming the company as the business changed, as the industry and the world changed. That role model that Jules said always give back was always in the back of my mind. And as I got more engaged in the ILD back in 2008, again, after a little bit of time away, once it moved out of New York to Chicago, the mantra of you raise the bar of the profession, you get recognized, resonated with me. I think bringing all of what I learned from those professional experiences with ILD, certainly as president, but on the board, things like that, just totally elevated within our firm. And it grew a certain sense of you could be successful. And let's face it, we're in what we call the business of design, right? 
Yes. So we could hang our black cape up every now and then and actually make money. What a novel idea. I think the big catalyst, as I've shared recently with some of the seminars that I've been doing, was ownership transition. 1999 was the beginning of our ownership transition. So you have to remember, I started only 10 years earlier in the business. One of those courses that I took said, hey, you should be thinking about ownership transition. I said, I'm 40 years old. What are you talking about, retirement? Well, here I am. I'm now 64 and thinking about retirement. Those seeds were planted then. And what you have to do is you have to grow the business. You have to attract the right people. You have to retain the right people. All of that really, as I said, was just a catalyst. So here we are. We've done lots of learning. And as I got more involved in IELD and the education programs, the conferences, the Enlightened Conference, I saw the business track. And I thought, oh, I hear people talking about BIM and all these other technical things. I was like, what about raising that bar about getting to be better at business practices? And some do it well and some don't. The education committee really liked that idea. And so I pitched by accident, actually, this is how it started. A speaker couldn't make it. And the night before, I was asked to join with David Gatan, who you might know from CM Kling. Yeah, absolutely. David and I are good buddies. And they said, could you quickly put a presentation together to do tomorrow at one o'clock? This is at six o'clock at night. And David and I looked at each other and we're like, what are we going to talk about? It was actually Andrea Hartraft who said, you guys are like both great at marketing. Why don't you just talk about that? And I was like, good idea. So in about two hours, we put something together. We launched it. We had so much fun. We just riffed off of each other. And we had a fully packed room. Then I got the idea that, you know what, we should really be doing this more formally. So we did. Then internally, the principals in the team did a bunch of things. We did a whole mentoring program. So I know that we had a full house. They had to turn people away. We did the marketing two or three times now in various parts of the world. Why should I be afraid? Honestly, I want to see our colleagues succeed. I want to see our colleagues get out there and market themselves and do the right thing and be successful because when they're successful, we're all successful. I have nothing to hide. I didn't have a magic trick or anything. We promoted ourselves. That's what we did. I am so proud today. I will tell you, I opened up an email from one of our friendly competitors in the East Coast and they are doing AIA CEU seminars. And I was like, bravo. Now, yeah, they're competing with me, but again, they're educating our clients. And the more our clients are educated, the easier we have all of us getting respect and getting work. There's an opportunity, as you mentioned, to raise awareness about lighting. And when the bar is collectively raised and more people know about lighting and lighting design as a profession, It creates opportunity only for you and all of your colleagues. This has been a really great first part to this conversation to talk about the business and all of it. But I think we've got to talk about light and lighting itself and what Barbara's take is on that math and science. What do you think, Barbara? Does that sound good? All right. Sounds great. Great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, I hope you enjoyed that first part with Barbara Horton. This is one of three. That's right, a three-part series. Talking to Barbara, breaking down her legacy, her life, and everything that she's learned about lighting. Stay tuned for part two next week, where we dive into what lighting is, how she sees lighting, and how she made a career out of that entire thing. 
And while you're at it, do me a favor, go back to wherever you listen to this and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to make sure that you never miss another episode of Light Pod, where we talk all things lights, architectural lighting, with people who like lights, with people who design with lights, with anybody that's passionate or just has a story to tell about light. <laughs> Until I see you next week, cheers.